You know, kind Father, I uh, was just sitting here a moment ago thinking about the fact that this is the kind of thing that quite literally I've talked about probably thousands of times in my life. And yet, like the words of that song, I, I can't really put it into words. And so I feel woefully inadequate to decide to describe what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> and so I would pray, God, that you'd fill me today and use your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of us know the story. The story that Jesus willingly went up to Jerusalem, even though... All his leadership team, we call them the disciples, said to him, you shouldn't go. We got a really bad feeling about this Jesus. And the thing that always just blows me away is that he, with his eyes wide open, because he knew exactly what was going to take place blow by blow, still chose to go. And it was extremely difficult for him. Words can't express it. As he was in the garden... Shortly before it all started to actively take place, he said to his father, he said, you know, if there's another way, he knew there wasn't another way. And so he says to his father, he says, not my will, but your will be done. The disciples who he asked to stand with him, he'd fallen asleep. And when they come to arrest him that night, um, the disciples bail on him and run. And he's betrayed and arrested by one of his own, by a guy named Judas and his cronies. And then through the night Thursday, he goes through a series of mock trials, fabricated events, where he goes before the Sanhedrin, which is a group of religious people, religious leaders in that day. He goes before Pilate. He goes before Herod. He goes back to Pilate after Herod says, I don't know what to do with him. And all through the course of the night, lies are being spoken about him. People have been paid off to fabricate things. And everybody knows he's totally innocent, but they're threatened by him. At one point later, as they're babbling away, he takes control of the agenda. He takes control of the, what we would call the fake news. And he offers himself up, and this is very significant, not as a sacrifice. All through their history, there had been sacrifices being made on their behalf. He offers himself up not as a sacrifice, but as the Last and final sacrifice. The Lamb of God. And it's with this backdrop that we read a familiar passage. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to begin reading in verse 23. Luke 23, beginning in verse 23 through 47. And it says this, Luke's the third book in the New Testament. The crowd with loud shouts insistently demanded, 
that Jesus be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison, Barabbas, for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved himself, let him save, uh, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the one, the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same punish, the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you came into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, so that's around noon in their time frame. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, so it's about three o'clock in the afternoon then. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this is a righteous man. It's interesting to me that even in the midst of all this, even in the midst of all that he knew was coming, He cares for people, cares for the women that are walking behind him as they're leading him up to Golgotha. He cares for the soldiers. He cares for the centurion. He cares for the other thief on the cross. We can read in the book of John that he cared about his mom. He made sure that his mom was taken care of as he was dying. I want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about one specific phrase in all the story we just read. And it's found in verses 33 and 34, which read like this. When they came to the place called the skull, 
There they crucified him along with the other criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And so I just want to take a couple of minutes to focus in on this phrase from Christ. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Who was Jesus referring to with those words? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Well, someone would look at this story and they would say, well, obviously he's referencing the soldiers who executed him. You know, these were professional soldiers, really professional killers. In that society, if a Roman soldier allowed his prisoner to escape, he forfeited his own life. That was the punishment. You didn't get a letter of reprimand in your file. So they took their job very seriously. So surely when he says, Father, forgive them, it only makes sense he's talking about the people that actually carried out the execution. But someone else says, well, what about the lector, who again is another professional soldier trained over a long period of time to administer the flogging that Jesus went through, where they would take a whip embedded with pieces of bone and steel, and the lector had the ability, very seasoned, to beat a person until they were just about to die, right on the precipice. And it was considered a failure if the person actually died. And so the back of Jesus would have been shredded to bits with bones and sinew and muscle showing. So surely he was talking about the lector as well. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What about all the other soldiers? The ones that escorted him to the place of crucifixion. The ones that used the butt ends of their spears through the night to nail him in the stomach and in the side that pushed the crown of thorns onto his head, that spit in his face, that mocked him. Yeah, he was probably talking about them too, right? What about the chief priest? The guy that really orchestrated all this with all his pharisaical cronies that conspired together and planned very carefully over a period of years we are threatened by this guy. We got to get rid of him. We got to get something on him. And of course, the more they looked, the more they could not find because there was nothing to find. And so they said, well, we're just going to have to pay people off to look because there's nothing that this guy has done even remotely right. And they manipulate the process in that culture politically so that he would be executed. So I think it only makes sense that Jesus is talking about them they don't really get what they're doing forgive them for what they've done somebody else says well well what about Pilate? like Pilate had supreme authority as roman governor over that territory and all he had to do was say no we're not doing this and the whole process would have stopped and and the pharisees would have been helpless to overturn his ruling in fact his wife even warned him, don't do this. It says in the book of Matthew, if you were to read there, it says, when Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. 
for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. And he even states it publicly. He goes, this guy's done nothing wrong. I'll tell you what, I'll throw you a bone. I'll just have him flogged and then I'll send him on his way. But the crowds, some of whom would have been paid to do this, are chanting, kill him, crucify him. And so Pilate, who already had a bit of a sketchy relationship with the leadership back in Rome, because he was such a violent person, and they were known as violent people, but he was kind of like over the top if you read the history. He doesn't want to agitate the crowd because if the crowd gets too agitated, then he'll have to bring in the riot troops and it'll get back to Rome. That'll make him look bad. So he doesn't want to jeopardize his political position. He doesn't care if a bunch of people die, but he, he cares about himself. And so he buckles to the pressure and caves in and hands them over to him, hands him over to them. Now somebody goes, well, what about the disciples? And you're like, these guys, they had front row courtside seats for the last number of years to everything Jesus did, all the miracles he performed, all the things that he taught, the sort of insider information about, well, this is what this parable means, don't you get it? The fact that Jesus um, actually lived this stuff out, he didn't have some kind of secret life. They'd never seen him sin because, in fact, he never had sinned. And they had seen, this is the real deal. This really is the Messiah. Don't totally get him. He's a bit mysterious. But this is the real deal. And in the hour when he said, would you just stay up with me for an hour and stay awake and pray with me because I'm going through a rough stretch right now. They fall asleep. And then when Judas comes to arrest him, they all bail and they run away. So I think... I think you probably want to include them. Well, what about Judas? Well, obviously Judas, right? Because Judas paid, you know, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And it's, it, it's interesting that even though the Bible says forgiveness is available to everyone, uh, Judas didn't avail himself of that. And so he goes out and hangs himself. Peter, who denied Jesus three times that night, even knowing Jesus, he does um, latch on to the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So that's quite a list we're compiling of people that Jesus is speaking about there in verse 34 of chapter 23. But can you think of anybody else? Have, have I missed anybody, uh, any other characters in this story? Think about that for a minute. You know, there's this, um, this famous Anglican evangelical Bible-believing guy. And uh, uh, he's actually dead now. He died just a few years ago. He wrote more than 50 books. And in 2005, he was declared by Time magazine as one of the world's top 100 most influential people. I've read several of his books. I've actually had the privilege of being in his church one day a few years ago. Listen to this quote about this idea from a guy named John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ. And he's commenting about when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's talking about who the them really is. 
is what John writes. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Think about that for a second. You know, we often think about, wow, it was awesome that Jesus did this for us. But to begin to appreciate what he did for me and for you, we have to come to grips with the idea that first and foremost, it was done by us. What does that mean? John Stott would suggest, and I would agree, that Jesus was offering forgiveness to all of us. The Bible tells us that every one of us is without sin, that every one of us has actively, knowingly made choices to offend a holy God, to sin against, like the big letters here, against a holy God that creates this barrier between ourselves and God that's absolutely hopeless for us to, to override or to, to deal with. And there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. And that's why the only way for access, like in the video, the birdcage video, access, where G, the character playing Jesus says, we want to give mankind access. The only way for doing, to do that is by acknowledging that it was me and it was you that actually put Jesus on that cross. That's where it begins. That everyone in this room picked up the mallet and the spike and drove it in, not into his hand, but into his wrist right there. And as we were pounding the nail in, the blood was spraying up and hitting us in the face. And my response to that must be an admission of that. A humbleness. An admission that, yeah, I've done sinful things. And my actions directly led to the death of the innocent Lamb of God. That that death was taken, undertaken on my behalf. And it's only when we come to grips with that that we, uh, we start to appreciate the act of grace that Jesus extended to us. So let me just ask you some questions. Have you, have I ever admitted to Jesus I've done sinful things, that I need to be saved, that salvation is only available exclusively through the cross and the resurrection of Christ, not in any other way. And it's only available for us because it was done by us. And the good news is, is that you can receive Christ today. You can, like when I was just about 11 years of age, uh, admit your sin, that you can admit your need, that you can ask for forgiveness based on Jesus' actions for you, that you can make the very personal choice that no one else can make for you. Your parent can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. Your friend can't make it for you. Someone can't pay for it or some crazy thing like that. It's this very personal choice to either accept or reject the idea that I need Jesus in my life. 
I put him on the cross, and I want to now receive him as Savior and Lord. And he makes this outrageous act of grace just for us. Just like the characters in the little video did. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And that's exactly what he did. And so you can make that choice today if you haven't already. I strongly, strongly urge you, I ask you, if you make that choice, come and tell someone. Tell me, tell the person you came with. In a few minutes, we're going to have communion. There's going to be some people up here. You could tell one of them. And just as I said, in a few minutes' time, we're going to have communion together, which is this healthy habit that we've uh, been doing now for a number of years on Good Friday. When the time comes to take communion and you're contemplating that, I urge you to remember what Jesus said. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He wasn't just talking about some soldier, some person that got paid to lie about Jesus. The chief priest, Judas, Pilate. He was talking to me, and he was talking to you.